1: You are not in your body, but rather everything you experience, including your body, arises within the vast and borderless field of the awareness that you are. This field of awareness is not itself a thing, but rather it is the space within which all things appear thoughts, feelings, sensations, people, situations, everything. And so, as we meditate in this way, becoming aware of all things arising within the field of awareness, so we become aware of the awareness itself. We awaken to the know a thing that we are. There is one experience happening right now within the awareness that you are. The awareness that you are isn't really yours. Rather, it is reality becoming aware through you as you. Just as your awareness includes everything you are aware of in this moment, so too the divine meaning all of reality, includes you and perceives itself through you. There is one experience of one reality right now, and you're not separate from the one at all. If everything you perceive is part of your own awareness, and you are your awareness, and your awareness is really God's awareness, stop. Relax resistance. After all, why would you resist yourself? Why would you be in conflict with yourself? Writes Reb Brian. Valeria Tellas interviews Brian Yosef Schachter-Brooks, the author of Kabbalah for Beginners, Understanding and Applying, Kabbalistic History, Concepts and Practices, and Integral Jewish Meditation, Three Portals of Presence for Spiritual Awakening. Rep. Brian Yosef Schachter-Brooks is a Jewish spiritual teacher and musician. He has been teaching the practice of presence, meditation, mindfulness, and Judaism since 2006— and founded the Online Jewish Meditation Community, Torah of Awakening, in 2016. He is the author of Kabbalah for Beginners, published by Rockbridge Press, and Integral Jewish Meditation, Three Portals of Presence for Spiritual Awakening. Reb Brian Yosef receives smiha ordination as Minister of Sacred Music. Reb Yosef Brian Zohar Menetzeka, Balal Tafila from Rob Zalman, ZL, 2012. Spiritual Teacher and Awakener of Souls, Morai Rukami Umsumori Neshmat, from Sikha Ibrahim Baba Yaha, May His Secret Be Sanctified, and Rabbi Sarah Leah Schley, 2012. Certification as Teacher of Jewish Meditation, Mora Lehid Boratut, from Dr. Rabbi Avram Davis, 2004, and holds a Bachelor in Music from the Eastman School of Music, 1991. Meet Brian at com. Here's the interview with Brian Yosef Schachter-Brooks
0: In your own words Who is Brian Yosef Schachter-Brooks?
2: Sure. So I am a teacher of Jewish meditation and Jewish spirituality. I lead an online meditation community called Torah of Awakening, which I started in 2016 when my family lived in Costa Rica. I'm originally from New York, but my wife and I started our family in Berkeley, Oakland, California area. And at a certain point, we Decided to take a year and live in Costa Rica because my wife used to have an ecotourism business there. So we brought our kids there to have that experience. And then when we came back to California, we actually decided to move to Tucson, Arizona to be of support to my mother and sister. And that was good because um, my work really was becoming primarily online at that point point. As of now, the community has between 250 and 300 members from around the country, a few people outside the country, and um, it allowed me to take my work with meditation, which had been going a lot, going on since I was very young, together with my work that I did in the Jewish community with um, music and prayer leading and teaching and so on uh, in the Bay Area, And bring them together. And so that's primarily what I do nowadays.
0: What was the main inspiration and intention for doing what you do today,
2: Brian? That's an interesting question because I don't it's one of the it's one of the mysteries. I don't really know why I gravitated towards spirituality. It isn't something that I came to when I was older. It's something that I was interested in since you know, as long as I can remember. So when I was very when I was very little if I met some adults, maybe friends of my parents or whatever situation where someone seemed to have some connection with spirituality, I would hone in on that adult and try to talk to them because my parents, it wasn't particularly their interest or passion. I was brought up in a very secular home. Um, But I had relatives who were Observant Jews, and so we would experience the ritual and the ambiance of all that uh, occasionally when we would visit them. And in fact, that family w- was the family of my uncle Howard. He was then called; now he's Uncle Chaim. Um, and he would talk to me for hours and hours and hours. Just he was he was one of the. The few adults that would really talk to me um, so extensively like that, most adults would say a few words and say, oh, okay, well, very nice, and then go on to the next thing. But he would just sit and talk with me. So I feel like there were certain certain experiences that nurtured the interest in spirituality, and it took many different forms as I was growing up. It wasn't just Jewish, and even within Jewish, it wasn't even one kind of teaching or practice within that lineage. So it's something that evolved over a long time.
0: I love the way you said that. um, I guess it it caught my curiosity about the mystery of being here in a human body with certain tendencies and predispositions. Do you have some explanations for that, Brian? Do you believe in reincarnation, uh, mind continuation? Rebirth of consciousness, or the subtle body, the soul, as some say.
2: Well, it seems like a good explanation for it. Because why would I? Why would a person come into the world with such strong tendencies? Although you know, someone might explain it in a different way. I know that in in the realm, in the discourse of spirituality nowadays. There is an interest in particular types of phenomena, such as reincarnation and other things, also. And my attitude toward all of this is, has always been like maybe. Mm, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not, not because, not because um, I want to make light of it or anything, but because I really think it's important to emphasize what the real core and important uh, aspects of spirituality are. And those are true regardless of whether reincarnation is true or not. So maybe reincarnation, and, and certainly, actually, uh, uh, most people don't know that reincarnation is part of Judaism also. Um, most people think that Western religions just have a like a heaven and a hell and that's it. But um, there's even a word for it in Hebrew, It's called Gilgulim, which means um, cycles or circles, and it has to do with the cycles of rebirth. So that exists in Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, and so on.
0: And that leads me to my next open question about suffering. One is, why do we suffer, and what is the purpose of suffering?
2: Well, I think suffering is one of the greatest motivators to growth, and that sounds a little cliché and of course that that idea should never be used as an excuse to not to, to not try and relieve suffering or to you know make light of the suffering of others usually if someone else is suffering it's easier to say well the suffering's for a purpose and then when we're suffering ourselves we don't like it too much so it's right. <laughs> true <laughs> so true so, so it's not <laughs> to make light of it and yet at the same time it also is really true many people maybe all people i don't really know of course but maybe all people who are really intentional and uh put time and effort into spirituality into a spiritual practice are doing so at least partially because of suffering because um and even even after we're already on a path there are constantly obstacles. You know, I know I've heard about um, and seen, you know, and met many spiritual teachers who I felt were very brilliant, amazing spiritual teachers, and yet they still have some shadow sides to them, you know, and you you can see that, and you can see their disciples uh, pretending that that's not there
1: right right
2: yes <laughs> and yeah. and then you can see others who are who who are not like that who want to um, debunk the that tendency to put someone up on a pedestal happen um, in the guru world that happens a lot so if a person especially a spiritual teacher Experiences suffering and that doesn't motivate them to look at themselves and get more serious about their own spiritual work, then you're in big trouble because then the the suffering then gets projected outward and blamed on others in a way that's more impervious to feedback because they have this spiritualized ego now. Mm, They think they're the ones who are right and so on. That's one of the nice things, also about the tradition that I work in, because it doesn't have that, I shouldn't say it doesn't have, it does to some degree, but it has a much less of that tendency to think of someone as infallible and put them up on a pedestal, making idol out of a person. There's a lot of warnings about not doing that. And humility is really seen as an important uh, pillar of spirituality, you have to be able to not take yourself so seriously in the Jewish tradition. <laughs> <laughs> love that, <laughs> love that so too. I think, I think that might be, that might be the source, somewhat, of of the classic Jewish humor. I don't know. Uh, uh,
0: now that makes a lot of sense to me, Brian. Not taking ourselves ourselves or anything too seriously, and that brings me to that point of uh, the self, the understanding of what is the self and who. And where is it? So I would love for you to talk to me. I guess this is the a good moment about what do you teach in the sense of uh, this core idea of identity, like who are we? What is the self,
2: and where is the self? well in the in the deeper sense, the ideas in Judaism about the self are really congruent with other traditions that understand. Um, there to be a, a a basic duality within our sense of self, where we have the individual, we might say creaturely or personality sense of self, which is also called ego in spiritual circles. It's not really the same thing as what psychologists mean when they say ego, but it's because it's just the ordinary sense of self, and then there is. The uh, what can happen as as we develop spiritually, we can start to discern and differentiate that at the deeper, deepest level, we are not just that ego, and that's the important shift is that the ego is there, but when we stop seeing ourselves as being confined by that or limited or defined by that, then its grip. Is at least potentially a lot less uh, strong. It has a lot less power over us because we can become skilled at slipping out of the clothes of the ego (laughs) and just getting to our natural state, which is, which we could say, is the same self that was there when we were born before we were. Um, That's why, for some people, when they have a spiritual awakening experience, yeah, either after. Years of meditation, or maybe it happens some other way. Um, there can be this remembering, like this sense of, "Oh, I I know this feeling. It's not actually something totally new. It's something that I knew when I was little, and then it got covered over, but with all this adult stuff." Yeah, <laughs> adult stuff. True. Or or, or traumatic <laughs> childhood stuff.
0: Yeah, I love. The way you write, the way you communicate the message, it's so clear. In the book that you wrote, Integral Jewish Meditation, Three Portals of Presence for Spiritual Awakening, it's just beautiful to read. It kind of brings us, or it brought me immediately to the present moment. And I felt so light, like almost in touch with that unconditioned presence. That's what it is. And it's just, yeah, there's a... the feeling it's of freedom, isn't it? It's almost being free to be here now and with everything that it is here, everything that is present, without any rejection, any resistance. What a beautiful message.: Hashem. From your perspective, what is the experience? What is the purpose of the human experience as a whole? Are we really trying to
2: get somewhere? or it's just the experience itself? The main answer for that is, I don't know, and it's a mystery. Right, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> but but at the same time, I would say that the paradigm that makes most sense to me is something along the line of the integral philosophers who see the universe before there's any life as heading towards the uh, evolution of consciousness. So it's So at some point life emerges on this planet we know but probably other places too and it starts to develop and evolve until you get to creatures like us who who know that they know you know who are aware that they're aware and i don't know if i was if i was the infinite nothing that's probably (laughs) what i would do too (laughs) (laughs) yes right
0: (laughs) that sounds good fair enough um another open question is about meditation talk to me for a moment about what meditation is and um, are there any rules do we have to think of meditation as something that there is a way specific way of engaging with it
2: well, I think there are many many ways of doing meditation, but there can be some confusion about what meditation is, at least in at least in the definition of how I'm how I'm defining it. And I think it's useful to have a good definition of meditation because if you do practices such as visualization or saying affirmations, different things like that, those can all be very helpful if 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 they're helpful, you meaning if if they are helping a person to achieve whatever goal that they're looking to achieve through it, whether, whether it's a spiritual goal or, or getting rid of a bad habit or whatever it is. But meditation is different from all of those things, although those can be part of and help meditation. Uh, so that's why it's important to understand that meditation is, is the practice of shifting out of identification with form. So that means that means that mostly that means the thinking mind and emotions because we naturally and unconsciously become identified with those things just very spontaneously all the time and if you don't have any experience with meditation or some other spontaneous you know spiritual experience that you weren't even going for um you may never know what it's like to not have that identification except for in our memory of being in the in the womb or or being a very small child before before that really develops so it's a skill it's really a skill of doing something internally that we can coach a person in doing through our words so when when people will guide a meditation the the purpose of the guidance is to help people first of all, learn how to do it, and then second of all, remember again how to do it, and and also have maybe a little encouragement and inspiration that they can do it, because for many people it's difficult, at least at first, to enter into that state without some kind of help. That's why when you mentioned before that reading the book helped you come into a more present state, that warmed my heart, because that's the purpose of it. It's not just to not just to explain intellectually about it, but to uh, also give a portal into it. And that's also why I called it the three portals, because those three portals that I mentioned in the book are different ways of coming into a present state. And when we do the practice, we go through all three of them fairly quickly, just because they're the basic three reminders of how to come back. But really, um, in essence, you don't need any of those, right? You can mm. just do it. <laughs> <laughs> you can just
0: do it, right. Now I'll be going through the three portals in a minute. I mean, I love your work, the way, as I said before, the way you communicate the message. Even now, talking to you, it's very your presence. It has this um, simplicity to it that I know you are speaking about profound knowledge, spiritual knowledge. But it it is communicated in a very kind way, I would say, Brian. It's very kind. So thank you for that. And I want to mention another book that you have written, that this one is on Amazon now, is the Kabbalah or Kabbalah. I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly. Kabbalah yeah, either way, <laughs> Kabbalah for be- beginners understanding yeah. and applying Kabbalistic history concepts and practices. So would you like to talk to me for a moment about this book and how it came to be?
2: Sure, that was a fun book to write. Um, I probably would never have written that book except for that this company, a publishing company, approached me and asked me to write a book on Kabbalah, so I said, yes, why not? <laughs> it's a great opportunity. But it was interesting because this uh, publisher, um I guess their model is that they just take different topics and find someone to write the book. And so they they gave me an outline, which i I tried to stay very, very close to it, even though they gave me permission to change it. I thought it would be an interesting. Exercise for me to not write in the normal way that I would, and just to try to write according to their outline. And most mostly, there were a few parts that didn't really make sense, but mostly I stayed to their outline. So it was a, it was a lot of fun to put the put these deeper teachings into a text that was really framed as like a primer, you know, telling you you know what you need to know about Kabbalah, because um, as far as I know, in with other books that I've seen that are beginner books on Kabbalah, they're they're not really their purpose is not really to help you into deeper awareness, but really just to give a a, a conceptual map of the tradition. And I tried to do both, and I was very grateful that the company allowed me to do that. Because after I started to write it, I realized, you know, if I'm going to write, spend all this time writing it, I want it to, I want it to have a real effect, not just be like a textbook. And, um, and I asked them, so I emailed with the publisher and they said, sure, you're, we hired you to do it. It's up to you. So. <laughs> it's a reflection of how you teach.
0: So it's very practical, very simple, very kind. What a beautiful gift <laughs> to all of us. Thank you again, Brian. And oh, I want to mention as well that you are a musician. So I didn't listen to the music, but I would love to hear from you. What kind of music do you compose? And are those Jewish spiritual music or songs? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, when I was younger and I went to college, I wasn't thinking in terms of being a Jewish meditation teacher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Hmm so I did go to school for music and I was a composer in school and I wrote all kinds of, you might call contemporary classical or avant-garde or art music kind of stuff. And I still love all that, you know, and then for many years, I, during the nineties, I was teaching piano to children and adults, even doing some children's music programs. I always loved to teach. And um, eventually I was, kind of pulled into the work of musical prayer leading at a local synagogue. And that's when I started writing Jewish prayer music. And so some of that is available. You can hear, for example, if you go on, I guess it's probably on Spotify and also YouTube, the name of the group is Bria, which is B-R-I-A-H, Bria, which, which means, which is a word from Kabbalah that means it refers to the world of creation, and that's in the context of these four different worlds. Uh, one is the world of creation, which has to do with the, the intellect, and then there's the world of formation, which is the uh, emotions, and then there's the world of action, you know, which is the physical world, the senses, and so on. Anyway, so this group Bria, it's called Music of Shabbat or Music for Shabbat. And you can hear um, original compositions there that that I use all the time when I lead uh, when I do prayer leading. So I haven't been so involved with extensive musical composition, but one of the things that I have done that's um, that I was excited about is that. In the in the Torah of Awakening community, I teach according to a paradigm of what's called the 32 Paths of Presence. And I don't mention that in the uh, book about Integral Jewish Meditation, um, but I have a lot of other material on that, even on the website, which is Torahofawakening.com. And the 32 Paths of Presence are based on the idea of the 10 spherot, which are these 10 spiritual qualities or divine emanations. And then... Those plus the 22 Hebrew letters, each of which uh, represent certain spiritual qualities such as courage or, um, or consciousness of speech or loving kindness or decisiveness, You know all these different things. And so I, recog- I realized at a certain point that if we make permutations of the seven note scale, leaving the first note of the scale alone and leaving the fifth note of the scale alone, you get 31 different scales. So I gave myself the assignment of using those 31 scales to write specific melodies for the 31 or the 32 paths. And then I added one more scale that did mess with the fifth note. <laughs> that's oh. how I got 32. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was uh, for music people, that's, that would be called the Locrian mode that flats the fifth. And so so we, so we use those now. And I, I took traditional prayer texts from the Siddur, which is the traditional Jewish prayer book, and I took little, little blessings from that that hint at the qualities of those 32 paths. And now we have these chants that we'll use on different days, um, according to the season and the day of the week and so on.
0: That sounds wonderful to me. I did see the albums, I think, on Amazon too, Brian.
2: Right, right. It is. That's true. It's on Amazon. They are there as
0: well. So I'll have the links to on your podcast profile to the music. Oh, thank you. Going back to the book, Integral Jewish Meditation, you said something interesting. The discoveries that you made, they will help us to move from pain to freedom. So the word pain caught my attention because we do a lot of times connect pain to suffering. Yeah. Do you also relate to this idea that pain and suffering are connected or they are somehow interpretation
2: of our own minds? Well, yeah, I would I would say that pain is the the raw experience of some disruption, some discomfort. And then when we get involved in a struggle against the pain, that's what people that's what that's what's usually meant by the word suffering in spiritual circles anyway is that we can once there's pain there in fact even once there's suffering there too um it's there we have to accept that it's there in order to not get further drawn into the suffering and the moment that we begin to say okay this is this is what's happening now and i'm just gonna to choose fully to be here with this experience as opposed to resist it. Once, once we say that consciously, then that's, that's, uh, it doesn't look like anything from the outside but it's a very profound shift on the inside. And, and when we do that, the suffering is greatly reduced and it's kind of like turning over an hourglass. You turn over the hourglass and then the sand starts running into the other uh, vessel In the same way, all of that energy that we're putting into suffering starts getting reclaimed um, as pure consciousness. And um, of course, the situation and the person and how skilled we are, all of that plays into the degree to which it can happen. But But anyone can begin practicing it. All that's really needed is a clear understanding of how to do it and a clear decision that you're going to do it, which is sometimes very difficult in the midst of suffering because the suffering itself, of course, can cloud our thinking, thinking about it and and mess with our motivation because we have such strong motivation to resist or to attack or whatever. So of course it's a it's a practice and it's a process that you get better at. I think that one of the difficulties with some of the non non-dual, non-duality teachings that that I hear from some people is that they they really will emphasize this idea that you just completely there's nothing to do right you you just you just recognize it you just realize it and you can't even try to realize right like they kind of talk in circles a little bit <laughs> yes and there's a yeah. you know there's a truth to that because <laughs> i mean i shouldn't say there's a truth to it there's a there's a method to that is mm. what i mean because when that method works, it can be very profound. Because what it's trying to do, uh, ironically, yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe it, maybe it's not trying, but yeah. it's you know, the the, the function of it <laughs> is to help a person to disidentify from the time-bound conceptual mind that sees things in terms of me trying to accomplish this and seeing things in terms of the present versus the goal that I'm going towards, and all of those things are good because. Being, because the, the, the decision and the act of fully stepping into the present is the letting go of all that stuff. So that's why one of the downsides of explaining it in more linear terms, which is how I tend to do it just for the sake of being, you know, <laughs> not, trying to, not wanting to confuse people. Is, is that people can kind of uh, get a little stuck in that and wondering, am I doing it right? Am I getting there yet? am I <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> and right. and, not, and not realize. And so that's why you know the most important step is to first of all just have your own experience of what it is we're talking about. because once it's kind of like if you're uh, if you're trying to undo a knot on some thread, you know the hardest part is is getting some piece of thread out of the knot that you can start pulling on. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> right. So Once you true. get that piece, yeah. you still have to, you still have to do a bunch of work to unravel it. But at least you can do the work. But you can't you can't even start until you have that moment of grace of just being able to get your fingernail under that knot, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love the metaphors too that you use. It's very clear. It kind of makes it easier to understand intellectually so we can come down from the intellect to the body and yeah. move from one place to another, right? The movement. Yeah. Uh, it's The paradox, isn't it? You actually mentioned yeah. in the book too, it is a paradox because we are already the experience of consciousness. It seems like we are looking for the experience of understanding or finding realizing what consciousness is but we are it yeah it's incredible this paradox so before we talk about that actually i have a passage here from your book that talks about the paradox but before that i would love for you to briefly explain or talk to me about the three portals of presence And they are the porter of the heart, and then the porter of the body, and then the porter of awareness itself.
2: Right, sure. So this uh, relates to what we were just talking about, where we tend to conceptualize meditation in the same way that we would conceptualize any endeavor, which is that we're at a certain state and we want to go from the state we're at to a different state. You know, you have a uh, you have some food, and you want to cook the food to make a meal. You're definitely transforming the food into from one state to another, and that's the goal. And you're not going to make the food unless you have that goal. It's they're inseparable, right? And so, on one hand, it makes total sense to have that understanding when you begin a spiritual practice. Otherwise, why would you put time into it if it wasn't going to have some positive effect? You, you, you definitely have a motive, and and like we were saying before it's often uh, motivated by suffering to some degree. So we have that motive, but the only problem is it creates, that creates a little bit of its own barrier because the act, the, the practice that we are attempting to do is to let go of our goals in time and to simply be with this moment as it is. So if you have part of your mind and your heart kind of reaching after this goal or conceiving of how you want to be, how you want to become, then that can sabotage the process before you start and then you won't get too far with it. So what I like to do is start out with what I call the portal of the heart, which just means to evoke within yourself the attitude of giving your attention to this moment in the same way that you would give your attention in a way that's very unselfish, that's just not trying to get somewhere or get something, but it's just a spontaneous giving from the heart and so the The example I like to use I can't remember if I had this in the book exactly or not, but it was the example of a of a child mm. who made a picture for you, yeah, <laughs> and I wrote that I think when one of my kids was very young, so I mean they still make pictures, so I guess it could still apply, but it's especially when they're really little. You know, and they, and it's just so innocent, and they made something for you, and you're just, uh, your heart is so warm because they're giving you this gift, and it's so wonderful to see what they made. And what is the experience of that? You know, when, when that happens, there's really no future in that. There's just, there's just that moment of smiling and appreciating. There's not, you're not trying to become enlightened when that happens. True. You're not trying to get some, you're not trying to achieve a certain state. You just are the state. You are, a, you are a beautiful state when that happens. So most people can relate to something like that. So it's nice to have these memories and examples from our experience that we can tap into so that we know what we're trying to do. What, what are we going for? not really abstract. It's very natural, so that's why I start with the portal of the heart because I think it it helps to get us on the right track with our attitude. And then the next one is the portal of the body, which is a more technical pathway to reduce the tendency to go off into thought streams in your mind to get on the thought train. And that's just and that's just the simple uh, practice of bringing your awareness more deeply into the feeling mode. So we're just feeling our breathing, we're pointing our awareness down through our body, down through our feet and our legs and feet and toes and feeling our muscles and deliberately letting go of any excess tension. So in the same way that we would do with any kind of Yoga or physical therapy, we're bringing awareness into the body, and that's helpful. So, the heart and the body really are complementary because one has to do with attitude, and the other really is a, a more intentional, disciplined practice of what we're doing with our consciousness internally. And then the final one, which is, which is more esoteric and t- is is uh, takes people usually longer to get, is just to recognize the awareness. And it's tricky because unlike the body, of course you can your body is is a form. You can point your awareness to your toe, to your hand. You know, it's a thing that you can get your mind around. But when you say, when you say become aware of the awareness, well, where is it? What is it? What is it? We don't know either of those things. <laughs> because number one, it's not anywhere. It's the it's the context or it's the Open space within which all of your experience is happening, and we tend to never even notice this we notice the things in our experience, but we don't notice that that the awareness is the thing that's that's having the experience. so when we start to point our mind in that direction, if we're doing it properly, the effect should be that it even helps us to relax our thinking mind even more because our thinking mind can't do anything with it and it also gives us a sense of Uh, non-duality because we can start to see that the ordinary sensation we have of being an entity inside our body looking out at the world is actually not what's really happening. Yes, we have that sensation, but all of the world that we see around us is also arising inside awareness. So the way we normally function, we don't think of it that way. We think of that thing we see over there as external to me. But the portal of awareness itself is just to, just to bring to mind. And again, it's not a belief system or some, something you have to buy into. It's just something to notice that that thing over there, the, the over there-ness is, is inside my consciousness. So my consciousness is not, is not an entity inside my body. It's, it's something more like an openness within which the experience of my body is happening and within which... Everything else outside my body is happening. And that's when the possibility of shifting out of feeling yourself to be that, that individual entity to just being the open space, that, that possibility can start to manifest. Um, at least we can uh, begin inviting inviting that experience to manifest.
0: For how long have you sustained this open awareness, that you are awareness, <laughs> could that last for a day, two, and perhaps a lifetime for some of us?
2: Well, I think the, the degree to which we are aware of it is not something that stays the same. But for me personally, I wouldn't presume to say that this is how it has to be for everyone. I'm sure there are many, many dimensions of experience that others have had that I've never tasted. But for me, the way it worked is as I became more involved with spiritual practices when I was much, much younger, even in my teens, I had a variety of different experiences, which I conceived of as experiences, meaning that they came and then they left. And when they left, I said, oh, that was a great experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could get back to that experience. Yes. That was great.
0: <laughs> and.
2: And really, that's still true. But at the same time, something else has come into play, which is that one way that I would describe it is that the doorway into the experience of what we might call just being space or being awareness or not differentiating reality into parts, but just be at la- allowing there to be this one, this oneness and having that be the root of what's going on in <laughs> the moment, like the doorway into that uh, became open it's more or less always open for me, but that doesn't mean that I'm always in the room that it leads to. (laughs) Ah, right. So it's like, it's like finding another, you know, those dreams sometimes you have, where you, you have a dream that you find another room in your house that you didn't know was there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I've had that dream a lot. When I was younger, I used to have that dream, not even a room, but sometimes a huge, a whole other house. If you open this door, you go into this whole other realm. So it's like, the doorway into that consciousness became open and i appreciate that it's open because that allows me to really not worry about whether i can get back to that experience or not it's no longer in my mind it's no longer that was a great experience i wish i could get back to that one day i will because it's really available um, to a certain degree anytime of course it depends to some degree on what's going on in the outside world and in the moment, but nevertheless, it's, it's still, it's available. And so I don't really bother anymore or care anymore about particular experiences because, because to me, it's about my commitment and skill to being able to bring that reality into what I'm doing. And so I do that imperfectly, but that gives me my spiritual work to do that's that's what my practice is since that door is open i feel that the real issue is the degree to which i can stay connected to it come back to it when i do get disconnected to it and most Im- disconnected from it and also most importantly how to bring the the qualities emanate from that space into life in a skillful way so that i'm not acting or saying things that are antithetical to that wisdom and love that come from that space. So that's the that's the real work. It's not about getting to an experience or maintaining an experience, but it's about maintaining as much as possible the connection of what's needed from that space to live. I think, you know, at a certain point we have the the luxury maybe when we're younger, which is one of the great parts I guess about getting into spirituality when you're younger, although you know, it's great to get into it any time, and I'm sure they all have their own special, uh, you know, uh, benefits to them. But, but I think it's it's kind of almost a humorous thing. Like when we're younger. We really don't have too many responsibilities, and the responsibilities we do have are ones that other people are telling us we have. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yes. You have to do this and that, and you either listen or you don't, but the consequences aren't so great, and that's hopefully anyway. (laughs) You know, you get your basic needs met. And so there's this tremendous luxury that we have. Um, And then as we get older, we realize that it's really the responsibility for our lives and for what we manifest is on us. And so, um, so that's how I that's I, I I try to take that seriously and make that my work as opposed to as opposed to going after experiences. So we are almost at the
0: end. I do have a few more questions for you. There's one. I have way too many notes. You actually not enough time, but way too many notes. But I wanted to um, ask you a question about the word God and the divine. Yeah, I know you mentioned both of them, existence too. But I, I would like to hear from you a bit about these two ideas, concepts turned into words. God and the divine are they different in our own
2: minds? Well, I I use them synonymously, but but also understanding that in our culture, the word God is used in a in a personal kind of way, in the sense of believing in this. Supreme entity that is kind of like a person that has thoughts and feelings and so on. And what I like to emphasize in my teaching, and I, I think it's important in order to really make sense of all this, is to receive this idea of the personal God, which is a supreme entity with thoughts and feelings and all that, to really receive that as a metaphor. And it's not a metaphor just for the sake of poetry. It's a metaphor with a very specific function, and it's very easy for that function to get uh, disrupted and to use the metaphor in the wrong way. <laughs> That's true. So, so if yeah. we think of God as a person, as a supreme person, and that makes us have the attitude or helps us into the attitude of reverence, of receiving this moment as a gift from that person, of receiving the seriousness not serious in a dire way, but in a, in a way that just takes seriously the opportunity of existing and of, be, and of being in the life that we're in and of really embracing it. If, if that idea of the personal God helps us into that attitude, then it's a beautiful, useful uh, metaphor that we—I that we, say metaphor, but that's not to downplay it or to make it seem less real— it's to use as an interface so so for example when i say interface i mean like when we use our computers we click on an icon in order to open something but of course the icon is not really a thing it's just a it's just something that helps us to interact with a hard drive because we can't interact directly with it so in the same kind of way we might have an idea of god that helps us to relate to the mystery to the infinite and so that's a wonderful thing. But if we start thinking, but if we start thinking things like, oh, why is God doing this to me? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> or yeah. we see suffering and we say, why doesn't God do something about that? that what an evil God we have. Well, then you're, you're taking the metaphor seriously in the wrong way. You're just turning it into something that's the opposite of useful spiritually that just plays into our own neurosis of feeding the drama that interferes with the flow of wisdom and love in our lives. So it can be used in a very unuseful way. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that. And It's one of the pitfalls of working within a tradition like I do that's that's a classically a theistically based tradition.
0: You're a beautiful, beautiful teacher. Thank you so much again, Brian, for being in our reality. Thank you. In this ah, shared thank, reality. you.
2: thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you.
0: Before we end the conversation today, I'd love to uh, mention, oh, I love everything about your book, The Meditations are Beautiful. And at the end, you say, presence is something very simple. It is a willingness to be with this moment as it is, to honor reality as it appears, and to respond to whatever the moment brings from this simple openness. I love that too. I mean, I love everything about your work, but it's just so direct the way you teach and communicate this profound message. It amazes me because it's almost like we can't talk about it. It's impossible to talk about these things, but here you are really in a wonderful way just explaining everything. Um, There's those deep ideas, concepts in a... Ah, in a very practical, experiential, and beautiful way. The word "beautiful" keeps coming back to me, because mm. it simply is. So, before we say goodbye today, I do have a few more questions. But before that, again, Brian, would you like to add anything else, or read any passages in your book, a meditation?
2: Well, I would just say, as a as a kavana. The word kavana just means means like a spiritual intention the covenant, the prayer that um, anybody's interested enough to have listened to this, um, that your practice of deepening in presence and connection with the love and wisdom that flows from there should be um, strengthened and continue to develop, and um, that we should all have the, the, inner, the inner motivation and even, dare I say, commitment to 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 really continue to nurture that in this life that we have.
0: So before we say goodbye, I have to ask you one ending question, and I have to choose from the ones I have here. But I'll ask you
2: this one: What is another word for life? I like the word. Uh, well, this is this would be a word for human life, not necessarily all life, but the word "sentience," which which is pointing to the level of awareness that we have as human beings. Um, but I also, in terms of life in the general sense, it's nice to remember that life emanates from from being or from existence, from reality, and so therefore, even things that we think of as inanimate, you know, a stone, a rock, a, a planet, a star, whatever, that they're all they're all pregnant with life, and so in a sense, they're part of the continuum of continuum of life. So, I would say that a synonym for life is really existence itself.
0: Yes, uh, another beautiful answer. <laughs> on the technical note, where can we find more information about
2: you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, probably the easiest way is just to go to torahofawakening.com because I put everything on there and You know, there's YouTube and there's Facebook and there's different things that I try to put it all on so you can find it in those different places. But if you go to Torahofawakening.com, that's a good hub to find everything else. Wonderful. And I'll have the link on your podcast profile as
0: well. Thank you so much again, Brian. And we'll talk soon.
2: Wonderful. Thank you. All blessings to you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Brian Yosef Schachter-Brooks and his work, please visit Torahofawakening.com.
0: To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.